Welcome to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast. We've been telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics all across the world since 2015, and we have over a thousand years of living with T1D on the podcast. The interviews range from incredible feats to everyday victories, and we celebrate them all just the same. Thanks for listening, and if you want to get involved even further, just send me an email at rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We are telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics from all across the world, and we are going to make sure to get this recording right this time. Uh, My very special guest today is Caitlin Prominsky, calling from New York, and these uh, incredible storms, which I now know because we've recorded this twice, uh, (laughs) were a little bit uh, billed higher than advertised, I suppose. Yes, but you know, I am excited that Winter should be over shortly. I'm going to Miami in two weeks to get out of this disaster. But yesterday, this second nor'easter, you know, one week later, it was not that bad. But I did stay inside all day long. Well, any excuse to stay inside all day uh, and yeah. not have to feel guilty about it, I 100 I think support. I took two naps also. Wow. Well, you are an inspiration. <laughs> Thank um, you. Thank Kay- you. Caitlin, you're also 10, uh, 10 weeks from your uh, due date uh, for delivery, yeah. carrying your pregnancy to term. So thanks so much for uh, taking the time out in the middle of that ordeal. Of course. You know, the, the baby's got to keep going with my life. I can't stop because of the baby. And that's actually, I mean, not to get all crazy philosophical right off the bat, but that's kind of like the way I feel about diabetes, too, is you can't let anything stop your life. Well, I think that's the best way to kick off the the interview is with some philosophical musings. Of so course. I, uh, I think I got introduced to you, uh, obviously, via Instagram. That's how I inter- get introduced to everyone. But through mm-hmm. a Dexcom Warrior post uh, yeah. with much of the same sentiment of sort of not letting diabetes stop you. So why don't you kind of take us through your diagnosis story, which I know um, you've kind of given me the previews a little bit eventful. Um, and then we can just dive in and, and talk about, you know, everything from your background to now your pregnancy and everything in between. Yeah, cool. So I'm taking you back to fall of 2009. I was dancing with the Pennsylvania Ballet in Philadelphia at the time, and I got sick with swine flu. Um, I didn't realize it was swine flu at the time, you know, dancers were kind of built in this way to, you know, ignore the pain, keep going, just be, you know, beautiful, be easy, be beautiful. That's kind of, you know, what ballet is, is you never, you know, you don't show the effort, but it's all, I mean, if you could see what's, you know, under our point shoes, after Swan Lake, you know, so I, um, it's, you know, it's very, it's a very tough kind of, um, career and at sport. And so I got sick with swine flu and I was kind of like, okay, I'm sick, whatever. You know, I I took, we actually were on vacation for a week. So, um, we had just finished a long program. And so, you know, I took the week off, was sick in bed and then started back work a week later and still felt like really, really weak. But, you know, I had, 
I mean, swine flu is crazy. Um, but I had you know, lost a lot of weight during that, you know, time off. Um, the fever was really, really high. And so I was just naturally weak. And also you've taken a week off of dancing. And so you're not really in shape anymore. And so I kept going. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, I still was feeling really bad. And so I went to the doctor and they're like, well, here's a Z pack. And I was like, okay, great. Thanks. And I took that. And I still just never really got back to where I was pre-swine flu. So we're now, you know, into 2010, 2011. Well, actually, sorry, summer of 10. Summer of 2010, I went to Europe with my boyfriend, now husband. And we were visiting his father in France. And I remember we were going on these hikes and I had, um, you know, another, another dance related injury. I had a torn labrum in my hip. And so of course, you know, that always bothered me, but this summer it was like, I'm trying to climb these mountains and it was really tough and, you know, we're at a higher elevation. So I'm super out of breath and I'm, you know, really thirsty because, you know, we're, we're exerting ourselves, you know, at this higher elevation hiking and all this crazy stuff. And so I'm like, really, you're just bringing two bottles of water, seriously thinking that I could just down that immediately. Um, and, you know, summer's going along, I remember sitting at the beach, and, you know, my hip was just terrible. And the, you know, ocean, I'm sitting in a chair, and the ocean's kind of crashing, and even just like the slight movement of that was killing my hip. And so now we are, you know, fall of 2010, this is my 2010-2011 season. And I am just, I'm not doing great still, but of course I continue, you know, new season, new goals, dance my heart out. And I'm noticing that I'm not, I'm not at a hundred percent, you know, I'm at like 50% or 45% decreasingly getting lower and lower. I'm having to leave class. So you start your day with a ballet class before you go into like, oh, is that your dog? Yeah, he is the worst. Uh, but he's very cute. He's very cute. <laughs> uh, so you have noises too coming I from do. your apartment. Um, so I, you know, I notice that I'm having, you start, you do class at the beginning of the day, an hour and a half class, and then you go into rehearsal for about six hours. And then, you know, sometimes you have a show that night. And I remember I'm having to leave class you know, in the middle of it to use the restroom. I remember I was just starving all the time. I was eating tons and tons of food. I was always exhausted. I remember this one woman whom I had, I had known her for 10 years. She'd known me when I was a student. She comes to set a ballet on us and she's like, are you eating? And she singled me out in front of the entire company because I had lost so much weight. And she didn't believe that I was eating. And I always, I'd never, you know, luckily never sure. had an eating disorder going through this. Um, but I was eating tons of food at the time. In fact, I would, I'm sitting here, people are noticing that I'm not, um, they're calling me you know, too skinny. They're noticing I'm losing weight. I'm eating. I would stop at Dunkin' Donuts and get two donuts a day, eat my fat pills to try and gain weight. And it wasn't working. And so I... And I'm still just struggling with my body um, injuries are just rampant. And I get this, um, it's gross, but I get a soft corn on my toe and it ha doesn't heal. 
And the soft corn is just this kind of, you know, I, I get them because I would get them because I had um, a bone spur in my toe, but I um, usually, you know, it, it would heal after a while, but this one would never heal. And so I remember I was rehearsing a ballet and I was rehearsing in one sock. I should have been in point shoes. I was rehearsing in one sock and one ballet slipper because I couldn't even get the ballet slipper on mm. because I was in so much pain. And so it came time. It was like two days before the show and we were, you know, doing dress rehearsal. And I remember having to borrow a friend's point shoe. Her foot was like a size larger, you know, a size and a width larger than mine. So I had one of her point shoes on one of my feet and my regular point shoe on the other one. I remember I would have to chew gum to, which you do not chew gum in ballet. I had to chew gum to have enough saliva because I kept having dry mouth. And that was me getting through this performance. And after this performance, I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. I need to have surgery on my toe because I need to get this bone spur removed so my toe will heal. Right. And so now this is spring of 2011 and I get surgery after surgery. I remember the doctor, you know, two weeks, three weeks later, you go back in for checkups and he's like, you don't have diabetes, do you? And I was like, no, of course I don't. Um, and I'd known this doctor, you know, he'd been my childhood podiatrist as if, you know, any child has a podiatrist. Right. right. <laughs> Such a normal how thing. Ridiculous that sounds. Um, and so I was like, no, you're crazy. Of course I don't. He's like, okay, you know, it's just taking a long time to heal. And I was like, all right, whatever. And I remember I was dancing again that fall. So that was in, I remember my surgery was like in May or so. And I'd taken the summer off. And then that fall I had, was dancing and I was like, it just feels like there's glass in my foot. Oh, and by the way, with that, before the surgery, I had this crazy staph infection that wouldn't go away. Oh my so goodness. during that period of, you know, 2010, 2011, I always had some kind of crazy infection. I remember I got this sinus infection once on an, I was on an airplane and just not to be gross, but the colors, I've never seen any, the body produce colors like that. And it was just insane. Just everything, full blown infections all the time. And so here we are, fall of 2011, and I think my staph infection is back in my foot because my foot still hadn't healed. You know, what is that? May, June, July, August, September, October, you know, five months later, my toe still hadn't healed after this surgery. And I stop dancing. I'm like, I can't, I can't keep up with this. I can't do this anymore. And so, um, I had was speaking to a friend of mine. This is kind of like the short version, but I was speaking with a friend of mine and, um, she was like, I think, you know, I was telling her all my symptoms. She's not a doctor. She's a brilliant human being. Um, but she, um, she's a social worker, but she, and now she works at NIH, but she, um, I'm telling her my symptoms and she's like, I think you have diabetes. And I was like, well, you know, I think you're insane. Of course I don't. Right. And she's like, no, 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 I think you do. And so at this point I was about to, same boyfriend, now husband is on, um, a tour of the United States on, on a show called Billy Elliot. Um, uh, cause he, my husband is also a dancer. And so at that point, you know, when I had stopped dancing, cause I was in so much pain, I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to go to school and live on the road with him 
so we can be together, you know, and I would just go to school online and, you know, work on getting my degree because I started, I was a prof- professional dancer right out of high school. So I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I'm going to do that, but I'm about, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave and go and do that. And she goes, before you leave on tour, go to the doctor one more time, try and get this figured out. And so I went to a doctor and I said, I need you to give me a full blood panel. My friend thinks I have diabetes. And the doctor looks at me and she goes, well, is your friend a doctor? And I said, no. (laughs) So she then also thinks we're both crazy. And she ends up giving me this full blood panel. And I remember a week later, I got the results and they were like, yeah, your, um, your thyroid is out of whack. So we need you to come and see an endocrinologist and your blood sugar's a little bit high. And so this was, I was like, okay, fine. This was a week before we were leaving on tour. I got the last appointment out, you know, that I could Friday the 13th because we were leaving on Monday, whatever, oh my goodness. The 15th. So I go to the doctor on Friday the 13th and I walk into this endocrinologist's office and they go, so you're here for your thyroid. And I go, no, or no, they go, you're here for diabetes. I go, no, 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 I'm here for my thyroid. I just ruined my joke. Um, <laughs> they go, you're here for diabetes. I know I'm here for my thyroid. And they're like, okay, okay. And they're all kind of looking at me like, because they're looking at my charts and seeing my numbers. And so I go sit down in the doctor's office and I wait for her to come in. And she goes, you know, we're just going to take your blood sugar just because. And I was like, well, okay, whatever. Um, and she did. And it was 600. Mm. And so she was like, okay, so it looks like you have diabetes. And I was like, what do you mean it looks like? I'm like, I'm a very black and white person. Like there's no gray area with me. I was like, what do you mean it looks like I have diabetes? And she goes, well, if your blood sugar is over 120, you have diabetes. And I was like, oh my God. So at that point, I was like, this is insane. And she's like, we're going to need you to take you down to the emergency room. And I'm sitting here thinking, I have a car in the garage. I have, I've, I'm leaving on Monday. I don't have time to have diabetes. And sure enough, she took me downstairs. They walked me down to the emergency room. And I sat in the emergency room for the next, I don't know, six hours waiting for my blood sugar to come down. And I don't think anybody there realized I didn't know I, did, I had diabetes. And so they let me go home. And that is my crazy diagnosis story. I was 28 when I was diagnosed. That, that the length of that story, first of all, I that think, was the short version. Well, I mean, I, I guess I guess not the the actual, not the time that it took you to tell me, but the length from which like you started noticing symptoms. Yeah. Also, like started, ha- had surgery, first yeah. of all, and I know there's a big issue right now, um, in that a lot of type one advocacy programs are fighting for, which is like blood sugar monitoring during surgery. For... Yeah. Which is in a hundred percent necessary. Oh, I've absolutely. had surgeries since I had, yeah, I had my other foot done. I've had surgeries since. And I am like, I, I'm, well, I'm also a crazy person about my blood sugar, but like just the fact of going under, you never know what's going to happen. Oh man. You I... know, I like hindsight's twenty twenty. I had um, bone spurs removed from both of my ankles in the mm-hmm. winter of twenty sixteen, and I mm-hmm. think I, I think I checked my blood sugar before, and I made sure to tell them that I had diabetes. But you know, they didn't have a CGM on me during surgery. 
Yeah. They weren't they weren't pricking my finger while I was under. And, you know, I didn't think about it then, but I'm not a doctor. You know, I'd never had surgery before. So right. it was, it's one of those things where, man, you know, they could, they should have checked. <laughs> they should oh, see. Oh, 100%. You know? And it totally stresses me out because, you know, the night before surgery, you're not supposed to eat, you know, after midnight or whatever. And I'm like, well, what if I wake up with a low, you know, yeah. it's just, and then, then it's all ruined. Then I can't have the surgery. Um, my surgery, subsequent surgeries, after I've had a Dexcom, I feel like I've worn it for some surgeries and I haven't worn it for others just because if you go into some kind of shock, I, and I'm totally going to butcher this, but if you go into some sort of shock and they have to shock you back into existence, I think you can get burned mm. from your CGM. I'm but sure I've, because it's like some sort of metal. Yes. Something like that. So I don't think that they always like you to wear it. And usually, the amount of time that you're actually under, it's not that long. Right. You know, it's like maximum, four, I mean, depending on what they're doing. Obviously, it can go longer if you're having like a heart surgery, but it'll be like 40 minutes. Maybe. Well, I, I do want to focus on a couple things, too. Um, yes. You are a professional dancer and have been, you know, effectively your entire life. Uh, yes. obviously, you know, training from a very young age and as an athlete, you are very in tune with your own body. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back to that first season back from when you were really feeling ill for the, or not mm -hmm. yourself. And you said, you know, Hey, I'm feeling 40, 50%. Mm -hmm. What, what were the, you know, I, you know, I don't, I'm trying to remember my own time. I remember feeling really weak and really you know, having a tough time, you know, absorbing nutrients and I was peeing all the time. Oh, just like everybody yeah, else. yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, and feeling tired, but I caught mine relatively early. Um, yeah. By comparison to some of the people that I've talked with. And so for you, you know, you, you were saying, you know, you're eating much more, stopping oh, at yeah. Dunkin' Donuts on the way home. So that's yeah. shooting your blood sugar up, up again. What, yeah what noticeable things and like how did you what did you come in and out of it were they um you know over that amount of time just like the stress on your body must have been insane i think i was once i mean after i read a lot um you know uh of dka stories you know beyond type one does is all these awesome article i mean they're they're crazy articles that they're posting they're real life articles and i think i was one step from dka i think the fact that I was exercising so much because now I know you know what happens when my body exercises but I think that I was eating so much my blood sugar was going through the roof and then I was exercising and then that would drop me later so I to this day I think that's the only thing that kept me alive was dancing and because it would naturally drop my blood sugar because right, you're in the honeymoon phase. You're still making some insulin. I think my honeymoon phase ended. I feel like it ended kind of that summer when I was in Europe. After I got sick that fall, and then I went to Europe. I think that was the ending of my honeymoon phase because that's when I started. That's when the thirst started. That's when the hunger started. But even then, like a year and a half, right before you got oh, yeah. any insulin. Yeah, I was diagnosed 2000. Oh, and then after I, I was diagnosed January 13th, 2012. Wow. And that 
right after the minute I got on insulin, every single problem I had went away. My foot healed. My infections went away. I started gaining. I mean, it was a lot of weight at first, but I started gaining weight again. Thankfully, everything has regulated now. But I started gaining weight again, and I, you know, I was able to use my brain because I even my brain stopped working before yeah. I was diagnosed. I remember being out at parties with, you know, my boyfriend and I didn't want him to leave me because I couldn't get the words to talk to these people, hmm. to anybody, even people that I knew well. I couldn't the word I knew what my brain wanted to say, but I couldn't get the words out of my mouth. And that was really crazy. Well, and I mean, knowing now and reading those same sort of beyond type one articles about the effects mm-hmm. of prolonged high blood sugar on your body and on your organs, you know, your body was effectively just defending itself by shutting those down. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go downstairs, which I now realize is this lower leg weakness that happens when your blood sugar is so high. I remember being on stage Um, One of my last performances, I was doing this ballet that I have done my entire 10-year career. I even did it in school. It's a very hard ballet. You're on stage for 26 minutes. It's eight girls. And you're on stage the entire time. And it starts out like nice. And then it gets really slow and a lot of standing. And then really fast at the end. And I remember thinking, what if I have to go to the bathroom while I'm on stage, what if I forget this? I didn't trust my body. I didn't, I didn't trust that I would get through the steps. I didn't trust that I could perform. And being in that sort of state was a terrible feeling because you don't want to have all of these thoughts in the back of your mind when you're performing. You want to think about one thing and that's your performance and worrying that you're going to have to leave the stage because you have to urinate is like, and that was, that was a do or die situation. If I did not get to the bathroom, it was like Austin Powers. When Austin Powers wakes up from that nap, you know, and he goes to the bathroom for literally 10 minutes, that's what it was like five times an hour for me. Oof. Well, and I, and I awful. imagine like, you know, your, your, your outfits and your like wardrobe for dance is not that easy to get in and out of to use the restroom. No, 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 no. And then you also, you can't, you know, you've got, you can't be like, Oh, excuse me, ballet master. I need to go to the bathroom. Can we please stop rehearsal? Right. Like you're not going to be that. You get a break every you get five minutes every hour, but you know during a show you don't necessarily get those. You yeah. get different kinds of breaks, but I could not. That was a, a luxury I could not <laughs> afford to lose. I, and I, I remember, remember. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I. This is nothing like you know being on stage, but I remember. Two or three days before I was diagnosed, I went and saw The Aviator with my friend, and it's a long <laughs> movie. It and is. And I had a, my typical go-to at the time is a large Coke and a large popcorn at the movie theater, which, yeah. as I now know, is just a tremendous <laughs> amount of sugar and carbs. So yes. as I'm ingesting that and watching this movie, which is like three hours long, I probably went to the restroom 25 times. Oh, and, my God. I don't and, doubt it. And we were sitting in the middle, like the middle center of the theater, so not convenient to get up and down. I just remember hating the movie so much because I was like, oh, this movie sucks. This movie's terrible because I have to get up every four minutes to go pee. And every time like I would, and I'm not sure if you had this sensation, but I would pee more than I've ever peed like Austin Powers style. Yeah. And and then I'd immediately be the most thirsty I've ever been in my entire life. 
A hundred percent. And could yes. chug. Like I was, I remember being like astounded at the amount of water I could chug. And I'm a big person. Yeah. Uh, I imagine you're probably not a very large person because you're, because you're a dancer. But... Well, I'm tall though. I'm, okay. I'm five nine. Okay. Yeah, so I'm you're, tall. yeah. So you could, you could drink some water. I'm sure in, in those times, right? I felt like oh, a camel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember waking up in the middle. I had to sleep with a huge liter of water next to my bed. And I would wake up and drink half of it at, at a, that was like a single serving. Yeah. You know, just like one gulp would be half the liter. Well, and now I, th- I know as well, uh, as type 1 diabetics, we don't make leptin, which is like oh. a, a hormone that I, and I'm probably butchering this. I'm sure some Twitter doctor is going to yell at me. How do you this. spell that? L E F. L-E-P-T-I-N, I believe. Leptin. Oh, leptin. Yeah. And I okay. and again, I'm not a doctor and I don't claim to be. But uh, the way it was explained to me is like that's the hormone that tells you when you're full. And as mm-hmm. the type 1 diabetics don't make that. So uh, that's our... interesting. Does the insulin make us make that? Does the insulin like does, is that like a stand in for it? Uh, I because... don't I don't know exactly how it works, but I just I think it's part of it's very similar to thyroid, which I want to ask you about as well. I have because I also have hypothyroidism. Yes. And uh, and they are often associated type one and hypothyroidism often go hand in hand because the endocrine system is sort of so out of whack that, that it's um... fascinating. I've never heard that, but I will say because I was used to eating such large meals every hour, when I got on insulin, I had I became a huge gum addict, and I'm no longer such a gum addict. But I needed to keep I needed my mouth. It's like a person who smokes and they need to have something to like do with the their mouth. Oral I guess. fixation, right? Yeah, I started chewing a ton of gum because all I wanted I just wanted to keep feeding myself. But I had no barometer for being full before I was diagnosed whatsoever. I just ate, ate, ate. And I remember after that first foot surgery I had, I remember my my mother was taking care of me and she was so frustrated because I couldn't walk around and I couldn't make anything. I couldn't get anything for myself. She was so frustrated by having to, she's like, I'd make you a huge meal and then I'd finish cleaning everything up and you'd need another one. And she put a giant, you know, those big family sized coolers from the (laughs) seventies. She put one right next to the couch because she's like, I cannot keep up with you Hmm. needing all of these beverages. And so she just put a cooler of you know, probably Gatorade and water and who knows what else um, next to the couch because I just could not get enough fluids. It was insane. So, but that leptin, I'm going to look that up. Yeah, I would look it up. Uh, I haven't because I, I just took it. I was like, you know what? That sounds right. This checks out by my, uh, you know, whatever Twitter barometer of uh, yes. of medical knowledge. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, definitely check it out because I think it's it's kind of interesting and I definitely have noticed it before. It's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I feel like I can eat pretty much whatever I want and it doesn't really tell me, my body doesn't really tell me one way or another if I'm full. So anyway, right. cool. um, back to the topic. So yes. now you've, after years, have finally, your foot is healing, you're feeling much better, you're... Uh, and, and that was one of the things that I remember about the hospital as well. As soon as I got insulin, I was like, oh, that was what was wrong with me for sure. 
because uh, oh, yeah. I feel so much better. What was yeah. what were the next few weeks like? How did you get back into? Did you immediately go back into your performance? No, how did that no, work? No, no. So it took me about five months to get back, and I kind of switched a bit. I um, I had to learn what a carb was. I didn't know what a carb was. It took about. I took about. I'm from D.C. and so I was in D.C. at the time, and I took about two to three weeks. To fig- I obviously I couldn't go back on tour that Monday. Um, I took about two to three weeks to kind of get myself under control. You know, go visit the doctors, go to a nutritionist, kind of figure all that stuff out. And then I went back on tour. And then it, it I was still, you know, I mean, at first I, I had no, I don't know if the doctors told me wrong or if I understood dosing myself incorrectly. Oh, by the way, I had to learn how to give insulin shots. After I got out of the ER, a doctor called me and they're like, well, you know, go get one of those glucose meters at the drugstore. Do you know how to test your own blood sugar? And I was like, yeah, it's been done about 10 times to me today. I think I can figure it out. And she goes, if you're not, she gave me kind of said, if you're over 250 or whatever for, you know, two or three readings, you're going to have to get on insulin. And so you're either going to have to come back to the hospital or we can give you to talk to you, talk you through it over the phone. And so I went over to my, uh, obviously that happened by the next morning. And I went over to my uncle's house and he taught me in my, in his kitchen, how to give myself insulin shots off of whatever kind of chart they had given me. But I didn't, I don't think I understood that you know, you're supposed to count the carbs for the meal that you were supposed that you were about to eat, not what necessarily what your blood sugar was, you know, it was just all kind of a disaster. So it took me about, you know, a couple of months to get all of that under control while I was living on tour. And then I realized somewhere in those five months that I did still want to dance again. And I did because right, right before I stopped, right before I got diagnosed, the joy of dance had left because I was in so much pain all the time. And I was like, I can't do this. It's way too hard for me now. I can't do this anymore. I feel terrible. But once I started getting better, I was with the insulin and getting everything regulated. I was like, you know what, this, I I do want to still dance. I I really, really do. Um, So I took into account my age, my injuries because I still had the torn hip I you know was recovering from this foot my foot surgery and I decided that I wanted to move into the Broadway um, musical theater style of dancing and so you know I'd keep up with my ballet and luckily I, I moved to New York and within that first year I booked a show and it was the ballet dance, the lead ballet dancer in Flashdance, the musical. And so I wow. was still using my, my ballet training. And, and at that point, ballet kind of had like a huge boom on Broadway. So kind of got in at a good time and have managed to stay in the field um, all these years later. So it's tons of fun and I love it. Um, and I still get to perform and it kind of extends your career. Well, and like what a lesson too, just of like, and I think as people with type one diabetes, we get better at adjusting on the fly, maybe because mm-hmm. our entire life is that basically you just mm-hmm. have to take, take whatever your reading is and mm-hmm. and sort of keep living your life <laughs> no matter yeah. what, no matter how many I, times you bang against the wall. So 
Yeah. I knew I was at the end with my age, you know, I was 28 and I, if I needed, if I would, if I were to go back into a ballet company, I would have hundred percent had to have my hip done because actually, um, before I had my first foot surgery, I was going to have my hip done. And then the foot surgery kind of took precedence because I couldn't wear shoes. And so I was like, Meh. so I decided to do the foot first. And so I realized, you know, at 28, if I get my hip done, if, if that's going to take me out for a year, then I'm going to have to get back in shape. That's going to take another, you know, six months to a year. I'm going to be 30 by the time I get back. And that to me, I was just like, that's the end. That's the end of my career anyways. Ballet dancers, your career is so short that it just, it didn't make sense. But if I moved into Broadway, I wouldn't really have to get my hip done because you're not contorting yourself into those perfect positions all day long. And it's a little more free. Um, even the ballet dancing was a little more free. And so I was like, I can do this without getting my hip done. And I, I still have not gotten my hip done all these years later because it's not a problem anymore. And I think too, like, and now, you know, you're a Broadway, you're on Broadway and, you know, how many, how many musicals did you do, you know, from then till now? Um, well, I toured with Flashdance for almost a year, about a year. It was a year. Um, I did a show called Dirty Dancing for about two years over about a three year time. And then I've done a bunch of regional shows. I did a I guess I've done like six shows since 2013 or so. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. So since yeah. What, so 2018. Re- I mean, yeah. So really... This is the kind of the longest break that I've had. I was performing at the beginning of my pregnancy. Um, I was doing a, a, a show just outside of New York. Um, and so I stopped around Thanksgiving. And I think that's, you know, that obviously where I was kind of going with the the conversation and a great transition is like you nonstop mm-hmm. performing and touring, mm-hmm. you know, up until, you know, really recently Thanksgiving. Um, yeah. And now you are, you know, 10 weeks from your, your due date, due time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, really like the beginning of a new journey. So from one journey to another, from life without diabetes as a dancer to life with diabetes and then life on Broadway and you mm-hmm. know, in, in these musicals and, uh, and performing to now, you know, a new, an entire new chapter about to open. What, uh, and, and, and also like living with type one and, and being pregnant is a, a journey in of itself. What is that? Yeah. Been like? It's been entirely crazy. I mean, being pregnant I was so fearful of getting my blood sugar down and not having high blood sugars. I didn't want to screw anything up for the baby. You know, if if I have a high blood sugar myself, that's one level of guilt. But if I have high blood sugars for the baby and cause it to have congenital heart defects, like that's an entire other story. And so I was super freaked out about that. Um, when I was originally diagnosed with diabetes, you know, in 2012, my A1C was over 13. It was 13.8. And before I got pregnant, I go to very concerned and I whittled it down, you know, over the year, for sure, over the years I've whittled it down. Um, and always kind of, when I was performing kind of lived in the sevens, um, 
because you have, you know, your adrenaline goes up and uh, you want to make sure your blood sugar is high enough because you're always going to have a drop later and just kind of maintaining. So it was a, a little bit higher. And then when I got pregnant, it was 5.8 I go to a very conservative office in New York, which I absolutely love. Um, and now I'm down to 5.3. So I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Um, but it's all just because of my team. If I had to do this by myself without, you know, having a pump, having an Omnipod, having a Dexcom, I don't know what I would do. Even with the Dexcom, I check my blood sugar about 15 times a day because I just want to make sure my numbers are good. And because I'm still active, you know, I'm still sure. exercising, living it. You have to stay active in New York. You, you, there's no other way except if there's a nor'easter in town, um, then you can take two naps, but you know, I'm, I'm still running around all the time and having my doctor's office. I mean, they're pretty much managing my numbers entirely by themselves. Of course, I'm tinkering around too, but they are making <clears throat> all of my changes every week. You know, I send my numbers in, they look at my Dexcom, um, 24 seven, you know, I've had them call me one morning. They're like, Hey, what happened last night? I'm like, Oh no. But, um, it's been really amazing and performing too with type one diabetes. I mean, has been crazy. Talk about that a little bit. I think, you know, you mentioned you're testing 15 times a day now. Is that a normal yeah. thing for you or is no. that just because of the pregnancy? That's just because of the pregnancy before I just have my Dexcom and rely on my Dexcom, which I, I don't, I don't mean to brush it off like that because it's an absolutely amazing tool that allows me to perform because before I had it was a nightmare trying to perform because I performed for probably two years, two years before I had a Dexcom. And uh, I was very against medical devices, which I don't know why I was for so long. Um, and it's, it has saved my life on multiple occasions. Um, as the Dexcom in particular, because of, you know, the, the trend arrows that it has, you know, if we were on a two show day, um, I always drop after my show about a hundred points. And so if I didn't have a Dexcom, I wouldn't a really understand that, know that because, you know, you're kind of here. You, I feel like just testing your blood sugar is, is kind of a shot in the dark because you have no idea where you're going, where you've been or where, you know, what, what's happening, where you're trending, if you're going up or you're going down, but because of Dexcom, you have your trend arrows. So after Dexcom, you know, I would see the trend arrows and I could stop the lows before I felt them. Right. But before, if I did a matinee, I would get some food and then I would get, you know, ready for the next show. By the time I was getting ready for the next show, you know, it'd be 15 minutes. I was putting my wig on, you know, I needed to all be warmed up. I would be shaking on the floor sweating because I would be in the fifties because I wouldn't have caught that low. Um, and so that has been the biggest game changer for me. And it has been so helpful because, you know, when I go on stage, I give it to either my dresser or the stage manager and they'll sit there and watch it. You know, if, if I'm having a scary situation, they'll sit there and watch it. Uh, there've been some times, you know, where I've been either really low or high or, you know, who knows what. And, um, 
they've always been so amazing at watching my numbers and holding, you know, a fruit strip or glucose or, you know, ah, there we go. Sorry. Oh, I've got a screamer. We got the pump. We, we were talking it about this before. My pump. Died. Your pod is uh, is dying and my uh, is empty and my yeah. uh, Medtronic 670 has been buzzing at me for the last few minutes because I have like 10 units left and it thinks that that's a major no. crisis for me. It's totally not. That can get you a lot. I like. I really like to empty my pod before. You know, I, I love it when you you get to that extra, you know, eight hours in and you still have a little bit of insulin, but I, I do try and use it all up. So um, having a Dexcom has been invaluable because I would not be able to, you're, you're just able to have health, manage healthier numbers while doing what you love. Plus you don't have to worry about it. Why do you, you don't think, um, because, because I, you mentioned something at the beginning of the conversation about a Dexcom and kind of fighting technology. Why do you think that that was? Because I was very similar. I only started CGM in the fall, uh, no of, of 2017. Yeah. I had never had one. Um, Stop it. because when did you get diagnosed? I, oh, 2005. Like I've had oh, like for like 13 years. Yeah. It. So I, I tried, I had a Medtronic CGM. I got trained on one in 2010 maybe. And it was like the early end light very like not uh, and even medtronic will admit this like it wasn't great tech and it was Was it huge it was huge it it was huge and it kind of didn't attach right and it fell off Mm -hmm. literally i remember because i was playing pro basketball at the time and like really training Mm -hmm. very hard oh so you are very big i am big yeah yeah i'm like i'm like six six right now and i'm in decent shape i'm like 220 so at the time i was Mm. like probably 230 and like in really good shape and like i'm a very rough basketball player so i was like i am skeptical that this is gonna stay on yeah um and within 10 minutes of like a very low intensity workout it fell off and i was like okay well i give up on cgm and so yeah um it was years and really a, a guest on this podcast, Christine Falabel, uh, who is in out of Colorado was like, yeah, yeah, you don't, you don't have a Dexcom. Like you don't have a CGM. I said, no. And she's like, well, we got to fix that. Let's fix that right now. And so she like got me connected with Dexcom and we, we, I got on it and that's awesome. Uh, now I'm using it now because I'm out of uh, guardian sensors for my 670, but, um, mm-hmm. I've n- I'm now on CGM and I was like, I didn't realize what I was missing. I got to see now just like with oh, you and your performances, I get to see what my blood sugars did on a chart during a basketball game. And I like, I wanted to cry afterwards. I yeah. was so happy. Isn't that I always crazy? Wondered. I always felt like I knew. And like you said, like, you know, you were coming down after a performance and I knew I was going to go up during a game and then come down, but I got to see it on a chart and I was like, wow, yeah. I- I'm right. Like I yeah, this. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right about something. <laughs> um, I didn't want one. I, I, I for the same reasons. So, you know, I a didn't want to be a robot. You know, here I am, right. like 28 years old. I, I had a, you know, of course, I had a, my boyfriend. But I didn't want to be a robot. First of all, second of all, I thought that I was managing it fine on my own, which I wasn't. Third of all, I, with dancing, with ballet, you know, your costumes, like sometimes it's just a leotard. You always have a guy's hands on you. You know, if you're doing partnering work, you know, around your waist, if you're doing turns, that's, they're lifting you from your waist, you know, or your hips or, and, and I couldn't have it showing under costumes. And so that was the biggest thing 
that that's why I was like, oh, it's just, it's not going to work for my lifestyle. And I was very like closed minded about it. But then I realized I could hide it places. And I realized that it stayed on and I have never knocked one off. I have run into walls. I have done crazy partnering. I have never knocked it off. And it's the most people, guys that I'm dancing with, they don't even know, unless I tell them, they don't know I have anything on either, which is the crazy thing. Um, And it's the thing that I tell people now being, you know, I've been on this pump for a year, uh, on a pump for this pump, um, on a pump for a year. And I always tell people, and I still stand by it, that the first thing you need when you're, when I talk to new families that they're just diagnosed, the first thing you need is a Dexcom or a a continuous glucose monitor, because it just gives you, you know, a whole span of information that you're missing. Because if you see that you're 180, like you have no idea if you're two arrows up, go on your way to, you know, 230, you have no idea, or you're two arrows down, you know, you just don't know. And so I I just feel like that's the number one thing that you need. Well, and I think, too, like whether it's a Dexcom Clarity report or if you're on a, you know, Medtronic CGM Mm -hmm. or or a uh, Freestyle Libre and you're looking at time and range, like A1C is a flawed, like is a flawed measurement. It doesn't it's just an average. It doesn't show the full time. So being able to look at all of your data in a report that's very um, you know, neatly organized and shows you a lot of different things also provides you with like insights. Oh yeah. It gives you all sorts of clues as to how you should tinker your met your dosing, you know, it's so helpful. And I think to me, like the first, the first fears and those sort of lies that we built up for ourselves in our head, just because of a lack of information or just lack of interest, you know, really can prohibit us from finding something that's really valuable and you know it's it that's the case with most things in life i think we always we build them up in our head and we come up with preconceived notions about things for whatever reason mm-hmm. and it prevents us from having you know access to things that we need and you know for to me looking at those numbers across the entire full day and being able to say hey i am validated in how i feel with this and mm-hmm. oh hey you know what i am 180 but i am one arrow down and i'm on my way back it's like you know if i looked at this i might give myself insulin if i looked at this on a meter um, right and right and i would and then you could be afterwards. in and then you could be in a scary situation right it's just with a disease that there's just it's it has a mind of its own. It does whatever it wants to do. You can feel like you're doing everything right and it's still wrong. This is like the one thing that is, it's like it'll hold your hand through it all almost because it gives you the information. It is. You know? And, and, it, I think and like, it allows you to not worry. It allows you to live your life and not be like, oh, what are my numbers or where am I going? It's just like, you look and you're done. You're like, okay, that's what's up. You know, it just takes so much stress out of it. Well, and I think knowledge is power, whether that's, yeah. and I mean, you can echo that a million times over throughout your entire crazy diagnosis, right? If you had just yeah. known, if someone had just recognized that, and luckily you had a perceptive friend who's not even a doctor she's just a knowledgeable person yeah Uh, a a true woman of the world and just knows her shit 
on International Women's Day, exactly. Exactly on International Women's yeah, Day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, find get you a woman a woman friend who knows about chronic illnesses and can diagnose you on the spot. <laughs> I you know, know, right? Um, and I think <laughs> she's a good one to have. And I think you know that just goes to show, like all all the, to to sort of put a bow on this conversation here is information. You know, we we just don't know what we don't know. Uh, and anything yeah. that's going to give you insight into what that is, whether that's your blood sugar throughout a performance and having a team of people there to monitor you, whether it's your parents during a sporting event or it's your stage manager during a performance um, yeah. or, or anywhere in between or your partner while you're you know traveling on the road and then, yeah. you know, or something like that. I think all of those things can help you adjust with life with with type one. And like you said earlier, Beyond Type 1 is doing a great job right now raising awareness on DKA. Uh, yes. And for you, you know, during your during your diagnosis, you know, before you recognizing the symptoms of DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis, of fatigue and uh, increased, you know, increased thirst, dehydration, mm-hmm. uh, sore feet and lower leg weakness, uh, mm-hmm. healing, he, you know, your injuries on your body, not healing very fast. Mm-hmm. Those were things that you may not have noticed because of the life you were living a very healthy, active life. Um, with, and as, as a dancer, you know, those are things that can just happen and are normal things, but all together right. they can add up to, you know, the, the sum of those parts is often deadly. Oh, absolutely. And I think if I had gotten to the point where I had started, you know, at the, you know, if I had started vomiting, I still probably would have brushed that off, you know, which is like a major sign of DKA. I would have entirely just been like, eh, must have eaten something weird, you know, just because I have that bizarre mindset where I just try and ignore all sorts of problems. And so I think, you know, right now, especially during flu season, that this is a really big thing that people need to live with. Like people should not be dying from type 1 diabetes. No. Oh, from man. undiagnosed from undiagnosed type 1 diabetes. They shouldn't. And, you know, if we can get that kind of information out there to doctors' offices, it doesn't matter if they are seemingly healthy, if it doesn't run in the family. You know, it doesn't matter if they don't fit the necessary necessary profile for type 1 diabetes cuz I don't think that there is a profile for type 1 diabetes but the fact that I was performing at such a high level it would have never even been a possibility that diabetes is is right. is an issue you know and I'd gone to doctors offices and I was like I'm eating tons of food I'm always starving and I'm afraid I'm not going to wake up the next morning cuz my weight is so low they were like, well, you should feel lucky that you can yeah. eat whatever you want and not gain weight. I'm like, mm. no, that's not it. But okay, we're going to continue on. You right, know, well, because, just, you know, you're a doctor and I guess whatever you tell yeah, me, I have to You're telling take, me nothing's you know? wrong. Nothing's wrong. But what, at the same um, time, something was do wrong. You, do you have anybody else in your family? There's no one else in your family with type 1? No genetic? No, yeah. not at all. Same here. No. I'm the only one. No. Yeah. Um, but we're the chosen ones. That's right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always ask this question uh, on my podcast. It's a, guess, a question that I ask all my guests, and I'm really excited to kind of hear your answer. Uh, okay. A, because I know you, the context will be familiar to you because I know you've traveled a lot. So mm-hmm. uh, you got to imagine that you're in an airport and yes. they're going to close the door to your gate very soon. You got about 30 seconds, but you bump into somebody who's either been recently diagnosed or uh. is struggling with their type 1 and whatever's on the other end of the flight, you can't miss it. But in that 30 seconds, what's the one thing that you tell them? 
Oh my God. First I hug them, probably cry and tell them that they need a Dexcom or they need a continuous glucose monitor and to call me. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's first that's of all, what we, I all we all have and, to and ugly say cry you're going to be okay. Get a continuous glucose monitor. Well, and I think too, you know, that's in some ways we, we all absorb information differently right? Mm-hmm. We, and that moment for that person to hear that, because if you had told me to get a continuous glucose monitor uh, a year ago, I would have been like, ah, eh, no, it's okay. I don't need it. I'm okay. No, it's the one thing you do need. Right. It's the one thing you need in this crazy journey. It's the one thing you need. And, you know, teaching, uh, you know, being on tour, I get the opportunity to teach at a bunch of studios all around the country, um, you know, going in for master classes. And I remember one master class I went in, I was in Kansas. I think it was Kansas. And I went in and I saw a girl. And I could see the outline of her Dexcom under her leotard. And I saw she had like a little pouch. And I was like, no, 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 it wasn't it. It wasn't the it, I didn't see the, the outline of her Dexcom. I saw. Oh, wait, I have two entirely different stories. I'm getting confused here. One I saw. So a lot of people, if they have a, a little tubed pump, they wear those little satchels around the waist. And so I saw her wearing that. And I said, are, are we part of the same team? after the class I you know I let everybody go and I said are we part of the same team do you have type 1 diabetes and we both just tears are streaming down our face I'm hugging this strange girl who is I don't know 12 or 14 and I told her to to get a Dexcom and it's just you meet this yeah and then the other girl she had an Omnipod I was running an audition in Massachusetts a couple uh, in January and she had an Omnipod on and I just kind of pulled up my arm and showed her my Omnipod. And I was like, look, and it's just, it's like you're this special tribe of people that you know exactly. It's an entire stranger, but you know exactly what that person goes through on a day-to-day basis. And it just, it's amazing how that kind of connection happens and you, you know, you're brought together with that person. But if I were in an airport, I would say, that's what I would say. And that you'll be okay. I love it. I th- And I think, you know, those moments where we encounter another type one in the wild and we, you know, hey, we're, on, <laughs> we're on the same team. Uh, <laughs> I never, I never really subscribed. This is new for me. Uh, subscribe to like a pump bump or, you know, which I don't know. If What's you've heard a of. pump? No, I don't know what you're talking so about. So like, you know, younger kids or, you know, teens, they'll like bump their pumps together. There's like a, it's kind of like a fist bump, <laughs> but with pumps. <laughs> and I, you know, and that's cute and, and it's kind of corny and everything, but I didn't realize how powerful it was until I went to St. Louis a couple of weeks ago. I was speaking at a, at a JDRF event there and I really, I was talking to these little children and I didn't really know what to say to them very much because, you know, at some point it's just like, I wanted to, I gave them a big hug and we took a picture and, and then I was like, oh, you know what I can do? I can do a pump bump. I can tell them about it. And like the, the look on their face just to know that somebody else had a pump Oh, uh, I, I wanted to crawl under a table and just cry because I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't know how important that was until, uh, until I got to see it for myself. Cause, and there goes your pot again. Yeah. I didn't, uh, I didn't need that when I was 16. I don't, I didn't think, or I thought I didn't. Um, and I made it fine without it, but yeah, having that there and knowing that it's an option and seeing somebody who, and for me now, I look at people who are 
you know, in their seventies and they've had type one for 50 plus years and they're okay. They're fine. And I think now, you know, I just, just 13 years in, I've got a CGM, I've got a um, hybrid closed loop pump. I've got all the resources that I need. I've got great insulin. Yeah. Your, your insulin journey though, your, your month long challenge was amazing though to follow. Oh, thank you. That was awesome. It was, I'm so glad I'm not, it's, I'm so glad it's over to be honest with you because it was, uh, and I cheated. I had a Dexcom, so like I could cheat with it, but like the, the quality of insulin, you know, from when that insulin was released in the seventies to today is incredible. And I think talking with those people who had to deal with that and to them, you know, in the seventies, when it came out, that was like a huge innovation. Um, and seeing how that you know they're still they're still doing what they want to do they're not they don't have any complications and mm-hmm. that gave me so much encouragement for people like us who are in the first phase of our life with type 1 yeah. and you know as we get to 20 years as we get to 40 years i felt more and more hope for what we're going to deal with along the way so yeah you know i i i definitely think we're looking at not having to manage this in the next 10 10- I mean, I, I'm not a doctor, I don't have the research, but I, we will have a cure or a reasonable solution in our lifetime, for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to that day where we can all just <laughs> take, you know, take that uh, extra thinking off our plate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Caitlin, and that's uh, also what these tools help you do. You know, yeah. if you want to be, you know, resistant to them, I've, I've spoken with a couple you know, kids who are in college and, you know, they're just not into it. It just makes everything so much better being on a pump and having a continuous glucose monitor. It just takes so much of the stress out of it. Plus you're going to start managing your diabetes better. Plus you're going to start feeling better, you know, and that's what this is all about is being, feeling the best that you can and not letting, I mean, that's kind of what I go by. I don't, I don't like letting diabetes get in my way. And if you can have these tools, make it happen. Well, and, and I understand those, those young kids, like I didn't want to pump initially because a pump wasn't sexy to me. I understand not wanting to have an extra device on you, but you're right. It makes just things a lot easier. And you know what? A CGM, uh, any of the CGMs that I've tried and they're even getting better, none of them Mm -hmm. have been inconvenient to wear. Um, and now, you know, Athleta the other day came out with that ad with the girl with the Dexcom. How cool was that? Wasn't that great? I loved it. I saw that. I actually saw it in an email my mom had sent me. She goes, look, this girl's wearing a continuous glucose monitor. It's like, oh, my God. And then they came out with the whole thing. It just seemed so normal. I loved it. I know. And it is normal. And if you know what, if you're worried about wearing one, you know, if you're younger, if you're in college or whatnot, teenager, and you're worried about wearing one, about what other people are going to think, get new friends. I mean, I know that's a very horrible thing to say, but the people that love you and care about you won't care about it. They'll think it's cool and they'll be happy that, you know, you have something that's helping to save your life and you're not going to have to experience those lows or those highs. You know, all my once I remember, you know, the first two shows I did, I didn't have one. And then when I got one, all those people I had done those shows with were like, thank God you got one. Because, you know, it just takes so much stress out of it. 
Yes, it does. Uh, Caitlin, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. That was thank uh, you. Awesome breath of fresh air. You are an awesome person, and and I, uh, you know, appreciate everything that you kind of opened up with us today. Thank you so much. It was awesome talking to you too. Well, and also, um, best of luck on the home stretch. Uh, oh my of your gosh! Pregnancy. Thank you. Um, you and your husband <laughs> welcome your new addition to the family. Um, thank you so much. We're excited. We're really excited. Um, for people who want to get in touch with you online, uh, what is the best way for them to do that? Yes, I live on Instagram, and my handle tag username is Caitlin Bod, K A T E L Y N B A U D, on Instagram. Awesome. Well, we will for sure include a link to your profiles in the show notes. Uh, but for those people who Thanks. listen uh, just via apps instead of uh, you know coming from Instagram or the website, that's a great way for them to just type that in and follow you and find out because I think we it's all. It's the easiest. Yeah, it's the easiest way for that I get information out, get information in. You know, before it was kind of Twitter, but now I just it's uh, for me Instagram is it's you is the fastest way for me to respond to somebody. And I love responding, you know, talking to people about their questions and everything, especially with dancing, because it's not an easy thing to manage with diabetes. Well, I, uh, any, any dancers that I come across that are looking for advice, I will for sure point them in any direction. So I'm super glad we got to meet. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Thank you so much.